0: Welcome to the Bloke and a Bird Show. Did you miss us? Well, I did.
1: You missed us? You've been here the whole time. <laughs> yeah, <well. laughs>
0: we, we apologize for not having a show last week and completely failing to even put something up on any of the pages that we weren't We have, have a failed. show last week.
1: We have failed this podcast.
0: One of those weekends where life caught up with us.
1: It wasn't so much life
0: it was it was the schedule it it was the the normal stuff that was scheduled to happen that weekend that we thought we'd be able to work around we couldn't well that's I mean true. That's, that's that's what it was that's true we 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 spent much more time at the swimming pool at a swim meet than we
1: expected yes but i'm pleased to announce because i know that our listening public is going to be very fascinated by this
0: the boys time games time gains her race was significantly greater than Lewis Hamilton's?
1: Exactly. <laughs> now, um, unlike some of our favorite Formula One drivers, he improved at every race he in, he raced in.
0: Yes, there was that.
1: Um, and he scored points for his team. hmm So, you know, that's the side benefit. The one thing I love about swimming is that you compete against yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's awesome. And he won where it comes to competing against yourself. Um, but scoring points for the team is a side benefit. And he scored points in an event he'd never swam before. All right. So there you've got our whole family you know, story update from last weekend. But yes, um, sitting at a pool for five hours for five minutes of swim time is exhausting
0: surprisingly it is especially when it gets really really hot in there
1: oh yeah the the pool area is warm it was a cool very cool weekend and so the outside area was cooler and so dressing for that weekend was a horrendous event it was there were so many things about it but anyway the thing that had to get let go was recording the podcast we were just happy there wasn't a race last weekend because then we would not have slept
0: well, you know, it, it, our, our choice was either we didn't record the podcast or we did without groceries for the week.
1: And apparently, you are opposed to going without groceries. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
0: <well>, you know. <laughs> now, you know, it's a shame that we didn't get to have the show because we had teed off. I had queued up a whole lot of great stuff to talk because, let's face it, the overall podium situation, actually, before we even get to, to the podium situation in Mexico, We got word right after the weekend happened that um, crime is a bit of an issue in Mexico City. Possibly not as much as, say, oh, I don't know, Sao Paulo, Brazil. But crime is a bit of an issue in Mexico City. And reports came out uh, after the race that two men robbed a member of Lewis Hamilton's uh, engineering team at gunpoint just prior to the weekend's race. Now, the gentleman stayed in Mexico after—actually, it was Wednesday— uh, before the race. Um, the gentleman stayed in Mexico over the weekend, but I guess the car was stuck in traffic, waiting to get somewhere. Mm. And two men came up to the cab that they were riding in, pointed guns at him, and robbed him. Oh, my. Yeah, and no injuries. The the chauffeur of the car, they, they were all uninjured. They just were robbed. But, uh, yeah, and they stayed down there for the weekend and finished the rest of the weekend off.
1: Okay. Poor guys.
0: So now let's get back to the weekend.
1: Well, you know, speaking of robbed, I think that there are two people that feel like they were robbed of a podium in Mexico.
0: Well, I was going to go this way because it's <laughs> not often that I get to use this word on the podcast. And I like using this word on the podcast. Oh, no. And. I think the the way the podium situation could be described was utterly shambolic.
1: Shambolic. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, I don't know if it was truly shambolic as an absolute cluster. I mean, that's the reality. Okay,
0: I consider when you have three different people technically on the podium before you finally settle on who your third place is to be utterly shambolic. And one of those decisions should have been made before the end of the race, clearly.
1: Well, and I think that our dear friend Mr. Vettel thinks that that should have been made before the race because he had some very choice words for Mr. Whiting.
0: Well, before we even get to the words, you know, Maurizio Arriva Bene, his reaction to the entire situation was that um, the penalty that Seb got and, and we're going to bounce around a little bit because of how screwy this whole thing was, he feels that the penalty that, got, that he got was too harsh and unfair and that the entire process led to Seb's podium being taken away by bureaucracy. Interesting. So let's start with where from, – from, I guess, the beginning of the race because that's where you really got to start here. So race starts – And we get to turn one, and and Mexico City has that really long run to turn one. And one of the things that we learn is that when there was a really long run down into turn one, some bad things can happen.
1: (laughs) Bad. Bad things happen.
0: And in this case, Lewis, who had a great start, kind of overcooked it coming into turn one. He goes wide, runs off the track.
1: Into the grass. Into the
0: grass. I mean, very far off the grass. I mean,
1: he took a turn through, you know, the outer slums of San Paulo to get back onto the track,
0: which was pretty good since he was in Mexico City. See? But okay. uh, I, okay, I was thinking okay. maybe he paid, there was a toll booth along the way <laughs> that he had to run through because it was. But anyway, so he Sorry, goes wrong country. way off the track, comes back. At the same time, um, Nico Rosberg is fighting it out with Max um and is defending very hard against max there's some contact there but nico also ends up going off the track and coming back on
1: not quite as far he did not have to pay the toll booth
0: no not quite as far he didn't have to go through through passport control or any of that stuff but no penalties were assessed
1: no at all and the order stayed the same correct by the end of all of that lewis was still up in front nico was still second and max was still third
0: So now let's move to the closing laps of the race. And Seb is fighting hard with Max. After Max tried to get past um, Nico and and overcooked it himself and ran off and and, and actually lost time for it. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was no advantage gain. But that put him down in the clutches of Seb, who was pushing very, very hard. So, there's some fighting going on between the two of them around several turns. Max ends up, I guess he missed the apex himself. He took the turn wide. He goes off track, but where he comes back on, he remains ahead of Seb. Right. Now, in that kind of a situation, the, the... I want to say the average person's interpretation of this is Max went off the track. He gained a lasting advantage in this. It allowed him to remain ahead of Seb, thereby he should have relinquished the position. Right. This was clearly how um, Seb viewed the situation.
1: Seb, the commentators... um Everybody that was talking at that time was talking about whether that Max should relinquish the position. Even Max's pit wall Mm -hmm. said, you're going to have to give that position back.
0: And Ferrari acknowledged to Seb that, yeah, they're they're reaching out to Charlie. They're trying to get this resolved, trying to make something happen. And, And Max ignored everything and continued to go. And even more staggering. And this is what truly blew me away. And I get that we were, we were, what, within five laps of the end of the race. We get word from the marshals that the incident would be reviewed after the race.
1: Which I thought was absolutely um, – staggering is not even the word. I thought it was unfair. I mean viscerally unfair. Oh. Because my theory was that if Max relinquished the spot, because that seemed to be what the answer should have been, Max would have had the opportunity to have tried to come back again, or, you know, then you had the possibility of what would happen with Ricardo. Because keep in mind, Ricardo's down there in fifth place doing stuff. We haven't some even stuff.
0: gotten to that part yet. But.
1: You know, it's, it's the domino effect. You're not allowing that to play out on track. You're going to take it in time penalties post-race.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, don't, I didn't see the point in reviewing it after the fact. And maybe somebody that's smarter than me knows why that would have been the case, but they've made snap decisions much more often on you went off the track on a pass, you got to give the position away.
0: There was that, and there was also the fact that, you know, this was pretty clear from the video. You you could make that call really easily from the video. You didn't need to review team te- telemetry. You didn't need to review anything else. It was very clear from the video what was going on and what happened there. To make that call should have been very easy to do. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we're, we're not in race control. We're not
1: we We're seeing, not Charlie. Well, it, it's not Charlie's call, though. That's the Marshalls. That's right.
0: Um, well, it's the race stewards, And you've got, as part of that, you've got one, and I don't remember who the driver was that weekend, but you've got one driver, and it's three race stewards, one driver and two officials from the local automobile association affiliate to the FIA. Oh, yeah. So.
1: And that's one of the things I have an issue with, just uh, as an uh, aside. Go ahead. Because that group of people, the stewards that control the race, changes every race. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's nominated, you know, so most times the the driver's like a local celeb or it's, you know, it's Nigel Mansfield because obviously that's what he does in his retirement. Um, but it's those types of things. And because of that, it inserts a level of inconsistency in the calls. Yeah. It says that if you did this in spa, you'd get a different kind of penalty. You'd get a different kind of result. Maybe the call would have been made on the spot versus – In Mexico, where they're going to review it after the race. All of those things aren't fair to the driver. Consistency is fair to the driver. Keep in
0: mind, you've got a couple of things going on here. The reason why the local folks are are, are brought in is because in many cases, there's not a lot of activity between the FIA and their affiliate clubs. This is a way— to incentivize these affiliate clubs to be affiliates of the FIA. Mm-hmm. One of the ways. There, there's some other stuff that, that happens and it. they influence. So there is some of that, and there's some influence peddling happening here and, and whatever. But the FIA realized a few years ago that, yeah, we get absolutely no consistency, and these guys who are – Um, presidents and vice presidents or chairmen or whatever these associations are not necessarily racing drivers they they do not necessarily have a broad depth of experience to make these calls so we need to bring somebody else in to help moderate that and that's where they got the idea of bringing in the driver steward where it was some driver who has some ex- some performance and racing experience? It's not always necessarily within the series that they are um, adjudicating on. Sometimes it's a WRC driver. It may be a MotoGP driver. It may be somebody who has Nigel. <laughs> but but I can understand bringing Nigel Mansell in.
1: I I'm not. And
0: Alan McNish has done it as well uh, several times. I I can understand prior Formula One drivers being – but it's not always a prior Formula One driver. And I don't think it was this weekend.
1: I'm getting your point. I'm just saying that it's not the same driver all the time. It's not – And I think that's that's what they need to do. The consistency is
0: At the very least, have a consistent driver steward. Or you turn around and if you're going to do that rotation, and I know if you have three you end up with no tiebreakers, but if you're gonna do that rotation, make a fourth steward position that is an FIA official that comes to every single race.
1: I mean that's with Charlie being the tiebreaker. And that's the thing is I feel like the steward situation is just too rife for inconsistency. It means that the rules are pl- applied inconsistently, which is the precursor into there's all there was inconsistency seen or perceived by both Red Bull and Ferrari when Max went off the track in very similar ways as Lewis went off the track. No penalties for one and definitely penalties for the other.
0: So we're, we're going to loop back in, in, in a second to... This whole thing with Lewis not getting penalties and and, okay. and, and that explanation, because I want to get to the last bit of penalties first. Okay, if that makes any sense.
1: Let's start with the, the last <laughs> and begin with the first. Okay. I, well,
0: I just want to go through the the whole string of events before we look back at why things went down the way they did. Okay. Because they're they're all related. Okay. So. As you mentioned, after while this whole thing is going on w- w- with Max and Seb, and, and Seb now getting angrier and angrier over the fact that Max has not ceded his position, he's now starting to fall back into the clutches of Daniel Ricciardo, to which Daniel catches up to him, and there is a battle going on in, what, the last two laps of the race? And Seb is getting heated and heated and heated, and we come up to... I want to say it was possibly the same corner that we have had the incidents in all the others. And Seb goes, again, defends a bit aggressively. Ultimately, there's some contact, if I recall correctly, and again, some going off the track. Mm. So we get, and and even this one was a question of, well, wait a second because that was potentially a, p- a penalty situation as well for possibly going off the track and gaining a lasting advantage, just like all of the others. But we've already got the one with Max that is pending review. This could possibly go under review. But if this whole thing with Max hadn't happened, he never would have fallen back into the clutches with with, um, with Daniel in the first place. So
1: right now it's, what? It's this incredible domino effect that had... Verstappen <coughs> ceded the position to Vettel. Vettel wouldn't have been at risk with Ricardo, but Verstappen would have been at risk with Ric- Ricardo. And so, what are all those different plans? I mean, you could have sat there with a spreadsheet and gone, if this, then that, if this, then that. I mean, it was mind boggling.
0: Well, you might as well keep the spreadsheet out because ha- how we're going to now explain the full progression of events so the penalties come out we get to the to the podium situation we get to the end of the race max goes up to the driver's room because he physically finished the physically finished the race in third goes up to the driver's green room
1: tap tap tap
0: (laughs) he gets tapped on the shoulder as he's looking at timing and scoring and find out that oh you just got a 10 second penalty you're back down in fifth so he's yanked out with the shepherd's crook Meanwhile, Seb is being yanked off the scale in the paddock. And, well, should we mention the whole language situation before we even get to that? So the, Seb is now fuming. Mm-hmm. And the team tells Seb that they're going to go discuss the situation with Charlie. And Seb loses it on the radio. And basically tells... Over the radio, Charlie. Well, he recommends that Charlie Whiting should go forth, be fruitful, and multiply
1: by himself. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't think that that is anatomically possible. What Seb and, suggested, but
0: but there there was a, <laughs> a certain sentiment there. Okay. Yeah. So and and at this point, Maurizio Riva benny steps in on the radio and tells Seb to calm down, and we'll loop back to those comments as well because there's. Discussion points about that.
1: All right. So now we're after the race. Verstappen's been pulled out of the driver's room. Seb is standing on the scale, and he's being pulled and told, "Go! You've got to go to the sprint
0: to the driver's room now." So he runs off to the driver's room. He is now goes that we go through the pony podium ceremony with Seb up on the podium, still trying to cool himself down. Oh yeah. Then we get what two hours past the race. And Red Bull steps up and says, "Um, what the hell? Mm-hmm. At which point, Seb is yanked off the podium, and third place is awarded to Daniel Ricciardo because Seb gets himself a 10-place penalty as well. 10-second. A 10-second penalty as well. Yes.
1: Now, just to talk about how truly shambolic this whole process was and how little communication was going on, while Seb was in the... Driver's room, or right past the podium, one of the little white shirted officials comes running up to Seb and goes, You Kirby need to Flash. weigh. You need to weigh. And because, and at this point, he didn't have his helmet with him anymore because yeah. that had gotten passed off. And um, he's like, I already have, I already have. And he goes, Are you sure? Because that could have become a problem. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely a mess to begin with and so wrong so very wrong
0: so let's work our way through now the penalties and the reactions to them so we have max verstappen who for starters starts off with the well you know what the hell why did i get penalized for this when we had at the opening segment seconds of the race the same thing happened and you didn't give any penalties to lewis And Lewis went off the track, and he should have gone and and dropped back. And Daniel Ricciardo said the same thing. You know, at the beginning of the race, up front, those guys didn't get penalties, but now we're going and assessing them later on in a race for the same behavior. Is it the same? Well, Martin Brundle, post-race, he put forward a, a column. He apparently got to head up to the stewards' room at the end of the race and discuss the situation and... They, the, the stewards actually reviewed the, the telemetry with Martin. They, they actually looked at the telemetry to make the decision as to what was happening. here. So what he said in his comment, I'm going to read the whole thing because it's much better than anything that I could summarize with. What he said was that the stewards usually give some leeway in the mad dash at the start of a race and throughout the first lap. There's so much going on, they would be overwhelmed with potential inquiries. That's what happens when you line 22 cars up together and start as one the key consideration in these incidents is whether a lasting advantage is deemed to have been gained. But the data sent back to race control from Hamilton's Mercedes showed that he got off the throttle when he came back on track to take himself back towards the pack even before the virtual safety car was deployed. And that's a key thing here because I heard somebody turn around and they had interpreted this as, well, he got off the throttle when he was on the grass. And and, well, you know, obviously you're going to get off the throttle on the grass because otherwise you're going to, You know, die. Hmm. Um, But that's not what the stewards saw. They saw that when he got off the grass and back onto the pavement, he pulled back even more, thereby relinquishing time. Ah. Yeah. Um, They also said that it was also the case that the two cars behind him were squabbling for position, with one cutting the corner and not challenging him for the lead of the race. So hence, he wasn't penalized
1: so he wasn't actively trying to be passed by nico nico was in a battle with max right. there was other things going on so whether or not so ultimately to summarize this piece of it what they're saying is lewis wouldn't have lost if he had not gone off the track nico was still having to have that battle with max if lewis had gone off the track and nothing had gone on with nico there might have been an advantage but nico was losing time with his battle he wasn't battling Lewis. He was battling Max.
0: There was all of that. There was also the, you know, Nico, as a result of his battle, went off the track as well mm-hmm. and didn't give back the position. However, the, the determination there was the two of them were battling. He was being pushed off the track. There was nowhere else for him to go unless it was to drive deeper into Max's car. So going off the track was the right option for him. Okay. Okay, so to move on, also the grassy nature of the Mexican turn one runoff means that we can't have a penalty zone or slalom such as we see in Sochi or Monza, and the drivers are all too well aware of this, as well as the geography of the bumps and curves involved so that they won't break their car.
1: No, oh, okay.
0: So that's why there were no penalties assessed there, as opposed to Max's situation
1: where he's actively in a battle for—I mean, they were actively trying to pass Mm -hmm. going into that turn. Max did less of the overcooking and more of the defending thing. He slides off the track. I can see it now.
0: Okay. So now we move—okay, so that, that takes care of Max's penalty. Okay. But now there's the penalty with Seb,
1: of course, it's because he cussed out Charlie Whiting, right? No,
0: and and we're not I, even at we're, well, I we're not even at was, that point. I was being facetious. We're, we're not even at that point. It Seb's penalty wasn't because he went off the track.
1: It was for the contact.
0: It was the max rule. Remember the, the max rule that was announced in Austin that Seb was a prime backer of, that said that you would be penalized for moving under braking.
1: Ah. They pulled...
0: What happened was, Daniel went to Red Bull, or possibly Red Bull saw this on their own, in watching it, in defending against Daniel trying to pass going into that braking zone, Seb clearly moved under braking. At which point, Red Bull went to... um, the marshals and said hey remember that rule that you put that you put enacted on because of the actions of our driver go take a look at it
1: ouch
0: so the marshals went and pulled the telemetry on the car and in reviewing the telemetry determined that Seb moved under braking and as a result handed him a penalty
1: that is comeuppance Mm mm-hmm
0: that is, you asked for it, you're going to get it. And Seb even freely admits that he moved under breaking in order to defend, but he felt that he moved in a manner that was not dangerous.
1: Doesn't, that's not the rule. Hmm. That's not the rule. Wow. Okay, that was a twist I was not ready for. I was not ready for that twist. But, you know, as they have said, those that are fifth shall become third.
0: Apparently. I don't know where that was said, but whatever. Right here, right now.
1: Today, right now. Wow. Okay. So, Ricardo now, probably one of the nicest guys on the grid, just anecdotally, um, is now third. But Mm -hmm. he didn't get to celebrate on the podium, so we did not have to watch him drink anything out of his shoe.
0: I I don't—and this is the question. He has said that he was only going to do a shoey from now, and he said this back, what was it, Monza, that he was only going to do the shoey if he won.
1: Thankfully.
0: So we have only seen said shoey during Ricardo victories. So I don't know if he would have done a shoey up there to begin with. I cannot confirm this. We will have to wait and see.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. So that brings us to the the last issue.
1: The last issue.
0: Which I don't know if it really was an issue. And that would be Seb's. Blue mouth. Radioing that, um, that
1: Charlie should stick it where the sun don't shine. No, he didn't say that.
0: Char- <laughs> Charlie ra- or he radioed that Charlie should go forth, be fruitful, and multiply by okay. himself. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> is that not an accurate description of what he said without oh, losing our clean tack?
1: Let's keep our clean tack. Um, it is an accurate description. Now, we freely admit and can accept <coughs> being you know, honest people that people get angry. And they say things that they don't mean. Or they say things in anger. I get all of that. It was not a professional thing for Seb to say. I mean, let's just be honest.
0: And and honestly, I don't even care about that. To be honest with you, I don't even care about the words that he used. We have heard him use those words before on the radio, and we've laughed at it. We've, Kimmy has done it many times mm-hmm. and we have laughed at it. We want the drivers to be characters. We want them to express themselves. We want to see more of the driver than just the helmet sticking out of the top of the car. So I don't have a problem with the anger that was expressed, the emotion that was expressed. Nope. Or the words that were used.
1: I'm with you. I'm 100% with you.
0: Where I had concern was that it was directed at the marshalling and the officials. Because we don't want a John McEnroe.
1: No, we don't want that. And I think that you're very right there. Interesting cultural reference that only four people in this world are going to get.
0: I bet you more than that. I mean, he was known for that kind of stuff.
1: In like the 70s? I think
0: in the 80s, too. Okay,
1: (laughs) do you know how long ago that's been? Okay, fine. Um, anyway, it's, I get that. I don't mind the anger, the frustration, the words, the sentiment, any of that. I mind that it was directed at a specific human. That's where, that's where the line got crossed. It is one thing to say that the situation is a problem. It's one thing to express anger, but to call a specific person out like that. It's it's that that's where you that's where the line got crossed between I have respect for what you do in your job and I can I can disagree with you even violently in words not physical but violently disagree with you and still have respect for you. It was the minute you you take that step over the line into calling a very specific person out. It's not this is screwed up. It's not what are the well, stewards collectively doing? It's not even that. It was a specific person, and he was told something very specific. Now, in Seb's defense, <clears throat> I have to give him absolute credit for some maturity. He went immediately to Charlie and apologized. Well, I,
0: I've, I've got more on that, too. Okay. But <clears throat> where I disagree is it's it's not that it was targeted just at one person. If it was targeted to the level that it was and targeted at the officiating in general is what I didn't like. This was not the same as the complaining that we have heard on the radio, not just from him, but from other drivers, because they didn't think that blue flags were being flashed appropriately or that drivers were ignoring blue flag warning. This was not that kind of a level. This was something well over and above that. And that's what I had a problem, and I didn't care that it was directed at Charlie specifically. My feeling was this was directed at the. It, it was this level of anger and I don't want to say hate, but vehemence that was directed at the officiating in general that I thought was over the line.
1: I'm more, I'm, <clears throat> I, I, you and I will have to stand on the different sides of that. I'm, okay, I, 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 I think that it. It dissolved the level of respect that you have for what Charlie does. I mean, Charlie has a tough job. He does. And when you call him out as to not doing his job, which is basically what he was saying, I think that then you've taken a step over the line. I think it's one thing to say, "What's you know what's wrong with the stewards? Why aren't they doing what they need to do?" Come on, get off get off it and do it um i think that that's one thing um but but, I th- but it's
0: another to say that the stewards suck and you know it, it, they they bet they might as well not be here why don't they all go and have familiar relations with a duck that's a different
1: thing <laughs> okay he said nothing about ducks remember Vettel loves animals okay Um, He said nothing about a duck. Let's be very careful.
0: But I would consider that crossing the line.
1: Yes, I would consider that crossing (laughs) a line, too. But he also did not say the stewards were stupid. He didn't say that they were incompetent or anything like that. He specifically went after one person and told him to go take a long walk off a short bridge. And that's where I mean he he targeted all his vehemence at the one person who is the one piece of consistency that they have in the marshaling world, in the rule making yeah. world. And that's where I think that the 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 foul the the problem was. But
0: and and I think his anger over the situation was justified.
1: Oh yeah,
0: because it was the just truth how is how he handled
1: it he wouldn't have been in the position of needing to move under braking or feeling like he needed to move under braking had the original call been for Max to give up the spot. Mm -hmm. He would have been out of the way for that. And from that standpoint, that, again, I go back to get your Excel spreadsheet out, because it's so complicated as to what could have happened. We could have, would have, should have, could have all day long about the end of that race. And the truth of the matter is, None of that changes the fact Lewis still won, Nico still made second, and Nico was still absolutely tip-point poised to win the World Championship this year.
0: Yeah, well, let's not jump to that just yet. we we got a ways to go before we get to <gasps> that discussion.
1: Okay, so how, so how much groveling did Vettel have to do?
0: He actually did quite a bit, and from what it sounds like, he did it on his own. Now, the FIA did investigate and did try and make a determination because there is provisions for sanctioning a driver due to essentially unsportsmanlike behavior. And this could be considered that. However, um, in a sta- statement issued this past Tuesday by the FIA, um, the FIA said that Vettel had spontaneously sought out Charlie Whiting to express his regret, regrets for his behavior in person. He then, again, on his own initiative, sent letters to each of the FIA president, Jean Todd and Charlie Whiting, in which he apologized profusely for his actions. He also indicated that he would likewise be contacting Max Verstappen and vowed that such an incident would never occur again. In light of this sincere apology and strong commitment, the FIA president has decided on an exceptional basis not to take disciplinary action against Mr. Vettel by bringing this matter before the FIA International Tribunal. The FIA will always condemn the use of offensive language in motorsport, especially when directed at officials and or fellow participants, and expects all participants in its championships to be respectful and mindful of the example they set for the public and the younger generation in particular. The FIA takes this opportunity to advise that in the event of any future incident similar to the one that occurred in Mexico, disciplinary action will be taken by bringing such incident before the FIA International Tribunal to be judged. So here's one other thing to, to roll around in the back of your head. Every single radio recording that comes out of those cars, whether, or, or even to those cars, is not necessarily broadcast by the foM right would there have been such a furor over the, these comments if foM hadn't chose to broadcast the comments in the first place
1: well if nobody knew about them except internal sources I mean okay you, you have to say foM is going to choose the salacious information. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. But you're right. If nobody but the teams and Charlie knew that that's what he said, then what outcry could there have been?
0: I mean, if this had happened post-race during the driver debriefing, we would never know. Mm -hmm. There wouldn't have been an investigation by the FIA, and he would not necessarily have had to go apologize to anybody. So knowing that and knowing that the FIA or, or the that FOM had the ability to not broadcast it and made the decision to do so, should anything have even happened to SEP? Let, I'm, and, and I'm just talking the FIA to even look at it in the first place. Maybe mm. it's FOM that should have been fined for this.
1: And maybe
0: they should have been investigated for doing this because they didn't have to.
1: Oh, maybe, but let's go back to some universal truths here. Mm -hmm. We want our drivers to be characters more than just a helmet. Exactly. FOM's job, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: part of their job, and especially in picking and choosing the radio calls, is to increase that character element. That's to put a human face on those drivers, not just from the standpoint of sharing information like the tires are going or something like Mm -hmm. that, but emotional, real reactions. They're telling a story Mm -hmm. that's part of the entertainment. If those are the criteria by which that they use to pick the radio calls to share, then no investigation would be needed of FOM they followed their policies the truth of the matter is seb owed charlie an apology
0: yeah whether
1: i knew about it or not doesn't change the fact that seb owed him an apology
0: and and the the other piece of that though is that even if FOM hadn't broadcast it charlie would have heard it right because Whether FOM broadcasts it doesn't mean that Charlie doesn't hear it. Race control hears every radio call.
1: In fact, it was only a few races ago that one of the things that I believe it was David Cothard had mentioned was that about half the radio messages that actually occur Mm -hmm. are for the driver to the team. Some of them are really inadvertently directed to Charlie. Yes. Because as things are happening on the track, they want Charlie to be looking at certain things. It,
0: well, it, it's not even inadvertently. They are deliberately. Uh, and we hear this every time that, you know, you're, you're talking about wet conditions and there's a the discussion as to whether or not to bring in a safety car. Mm-hmm. That is always the driver's calling back when they're reporting on the radio what those conditions are, that is specifically for Charlie's knowledge, so right. that Charlie is hearing what is happening. Same thing when it comes to levels of debris on the track and stuff like that. When they're making those calls back, that is intentionally being done because Charlie will hear it and and they want Charlie to act on it.
1: Right. And so they know, mm-hmm. they are very well aware that Charlie hears everything that's on those, co- on those radios, um, which makes me just, after sitting through the IndyCar, this is a complete aside, sitting Mm -hmm. through the IndyCar race and scanning the radios (laughs) and the channels and knowing how much communication really occurs, um, and that's in an IndyCar world, I can't imagine what that translates in the the F1 world, makes me think that Charlie might be semi-superhuman.
0: Well, now you add, if you're going to mention that, you got to add one other piece. Okay, so yes, he's got the radios and he's hearing all of those conversations and all of that talk, but then he's also got the, and I don't even think it's a single phone, but the phones next to him where the team bosses and the team principals and the pit walls are calling him up going, did you see that? Did you see what just happened?
1: (laughs) All right, so gratuitous flash reference, I think that Charlie (laughs) is a metahuman with multiple arms. (laughs) <laughs> and possibly years. <laughs> um. So there, there we go. Revelation. Charlie is not human. <laughs> um. But yeah, and I, I kind of like to think in my head. That Charlie has a team of people with him that are fielding those phone calls from all the team bosses and and passing him notes uh, along the uh, way. And some of of
0: it may be. You know, we know there's the assistant race director, Herbie Blash, who's retiring this year. And now maybe we understand why Herbie's (laughs) retiring. Um.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, there's... uh, you know, you, you want to believe that he's got this, that we call Charlie the single person. And mm-hmm. he's like the, he's the figurehead of a team of people that are hopefully doing all of this. Because otherwise, he is not human. Yeah. Um, but yes, all of that's going back. So it, it's, for me, I, to sum up all of what I've just said, for me, it doesn't matter what FOM did. FOM's responsible for FOM's world. But it's an integrity thing that Seb didn't say this in the privacy of his own bathroom with nobody else hearing him. Yeah, He didn't say it in his own head, and it suddenly becomes his out loud voice. It was his out loud voice in front of every person that has his radio on his team and Charlie's team and the stewards or anybody else that's monitoring the radios beyond whether or not the bloke and the bird ever heard it it still was a public comment that needed to be apologized for. That's integrity.
0: Yeah. So let's let's move on. I, th- I think we've beaten this up enough. I think we have given our opinion. And
1: I have one more question for you, and okay. this is just sort of the whole season wrapped up in a little bow. <clears throat> Did, do you think Beto was this blue when he drove for Red Bull? No. He has no. gotten very blue, hasn't he?
0: yeah well he he seems to be expressing himself at least more than we heard at Red Bull mm-hmm. now from listening to Christian Horner's discussions about and, and his comments about seb during the booing incidents while, while seb was the last two years of winning his championships you heard hints of this but we never actually saw it from Seb now we actually see it from him yeah so but speaking of Seb you know, you, you'll recall, um, what was it, two weeks ago, um, or last month actually, Maurizio Arriva beni hinting that Seb would have to earn his place at Ferrari Beyond. Oh, yeah, we've remember, talked about remember?
1: that extensively.
0: Yes. Well,. Um, Maurizio says that he is not having any problems with Seb, and and things are maybe being a bit overblown. Um,
1: Oh, they've gone to marriage counseling.
0: Well, I'm thinking possibly Maurizio is saying this is why I won't speak to anybody but the Italian press. (laughs) I I don't know. Um, But what he, he said this past week is that he has zero problem with Sebastian, as he has said many times. Sebastian is quite emotional. Sometimes he is a bit more Latino than German. He's very emotional. He's very passionate, especially when he's driving. Somebody maybe thinks we have tension. No, we are honest with each other. Mm -hmm. So he says that there are no tensions between them and things are going well and that we just don't understand. I don't know.
1: Nobody can understand their relationship like they understand their relationship.
0: Something like that.
1: Everybody wants them to go into marriage counseling, but they refuse because their bickering is healthy for them.
0: Yes, that's, that's what it is. Okay. Speaking of bickering, Max Verstappen, who we are quickly learning,
1: he's um, a petulant teenager. Actually, that a I was actually,
0: I was thinking that he he does not yet have enough self control, no one to keep his mouth shut when a microphone shoved in his face. Whew. Um, all of his post race comments in Mexico City aside, no matter what you think of. of Max being able to say some of the—having the the expertise to say some of the things that he said and the judgments that he passed in Mexico City. He came out this week and said that maybe there should be a ban on broadcasting team radio. After the things that have come out and the things that are aired, that maybe it's best that we not broadcast the driver's every comment because— they can be taken out of proportion and out of context now to some extent given max's own comments and and his own remarking about how that he was going to try and say less on the radio because it makes him um sound arrogant mm-hmm. i could kind of understand this but the other part of me says uh yeah um you guys might just need to remember that this is what happens and yes there's emotions and you guys get emotional and we need to hear those emotions as a fan because really earlier this year when the radio ban was in place we all thought it sucked and wanted it to go go away and die a horrible death
1: right um I think that there is something to be said for I want to know what the driver is going through in the moment and I I don't, I mean, yes, Max is arrogant, but it's not because of his radio messages that I think so. I think that he's 19 years old and he's had more success in a Formula One car than a lot of people that have actually had the privilege of driving on that. And with that and without the benefit of years of, of humbling years ahead of him,
0: his ego is bigger than it should be for his, his age.
1: Yeah, he's, he's got an ego that's overly large right now. And he doesn't mm-hmm. have the humility and the maturity to handle that yet. And that comes with time. But does it make me appreciate him less as a driver? No, he's a fantastic driver. And does it make me not actually... I have a bigger heart for him because I think that that's a real emotion. If he was polished and preserve, you know, perfected at 19 and came off as humble and, and self-deprecating, I would think it was a farce. Because that's not 19. Mm-hmm. That's not 19 when you're not a Formula One driver. 19 is supposed to be a bigger ego time in your life. You're supposed to feel larger than you really are. He's real, and that's what I like about my drivers. It's why we like Jensen so much. Yeah, It's why we like some of these drivers, because of their personalities, because they're real. And when we feel like they're putting us on, we don't like them anymore. But that's the connection with their humanness, and so a radio band won't help you with that. It's why people think they like Kimmy so much. Because yeah. they think that that's that's so real, mm-hmm. and I just think it's because English is limited. I mean, that's <laughs> just me. Um, I mean, if Kim, the boys what? spoke better English, we'd have better information. So so, about
0: so, so you're saying that you think that Kimmy only knows 15 words of English, 12 of which are curse words? Yes, is that what? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: but they think that that's raw and real. I mean, Kimmy's I mean, Kimmy's Kimmy, but <laughs> you know, I, I'm trying to to connect it to somebody that I thought was more fake. And a lot of the guys, I kind of get that sense that they're actually much more real. Um, and they come across well, as being more human. But you see Masa with his son, and you see it, and you're like, that's a connection. Well,
0: you know, to and, and I'm going to jump forward slightly, not too much, but I think it, it draws a good comparison here. You know, you are very anti-Fernando Alonso. And a lot of the reason that you're anti-Fernando Alonso is because a lot of Fernando's coverage is he's the most awesomest driver out there who can't seem to win a championship, and that pisses you off. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, I think, if what you saw of Fernando was more of what we saw last year of Fernando in Brazil— If it was more of what we saw of the team telling him that, oh, yeah, you can catch the driver ahead of you. You just need to push a little harder. And instead, Fernando laughs at him over the radio. (laughs) Or what we saw this past weekend with Fernando when the car broke down yet again and Fernando was once again screwing around on the sidelines of the track. And we'll get to what Fernando was doing later. But again, Fernando screwing around on the sidelines of the track because that's really all he can do at this point you would probably have a very different impression of Fernando and probably be a bigger Fernando fan.
1: Um, Perhaps. And I think you might have a point there. I think part of my issues with Fernando is that not just all of the press is. He's this incredible driver. He's the best driver that's ever been on the grid, but he can't catch a break. It's also Fernando's constant complaining of, I can't catch a – it's the woe is me, I can't catch a break – that's if it was more of the Jensen of, wow, we didn't do so great with that one, didn't we? Yeah. I think there's there's a difference. And before, you know, the thousands of people that listen to our show write in <clears throat> and say, I cut Jensen bigger brakes and I cut Fernando and I hold Fernando to a different standard. Jensen's complained about his car, too. And I've told I've said Jensen get a grip. But. His, he's not on the radio going, this is a GP2 car.
0: Well, th- th- there's one other key difference, and, and, and it's something that we have remarked about Jensen, is that for the vast majority of that t- of his time with this McLaren Honda, and as the car has gotten worse, he has worked very hard to find some positive <laughs> spin, no matter how ridiculous it was to find some level of positive spin. And even when he has a bad race and, you know, is expecting to qualify up front with his McLaren Mercedes and ends up in 11th and goes, well, you know, it'll be more interesting back here in 11th. And, you know, the the sarcastic, well, this is really where we were trying to end up. (laughs) That's the, you know, Fernando doesn't do that.
1: Well, and I think that, I think you're right. I think the self-deprecatingness of Jensen helps. I think that the fact that he's such a team guy, mm-hmm. um, that he, you're right. The car could be in flaming piles on the side of the track, and Jensen will go, hey, did you see our new paint job?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean. <laughs>
1: you, know, you know, nothing has burned brighter than the back end of that McLaren. I mean, No,
0: he's going to go. See, this year, we, we went with bitchin' flames on
1: <laughs> Flames always makes you go faster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of guy that he is. And so I think that you're right. I think that that's where I cut um, Jensen more slack than I cut Fernando, because Fernando comes across as arrogant to me. Jensen comes across as, well, funny. Yeah. And, well, it doesn't help that Jensen's adorable.
0: Anyway. <laughs> so back to Max. Okay. You're not the only one offering opinions up about Max. I have opinions. Toto Wolf in the past, we have heard opinions from Toto about this. Apparently though his latest way of expressing opinions about Max has pissed off Red Bull and Christian Horner.
1: Oh, pray tell. how do you how do you do that?
0: Well, Toto apparently called Joss. He called his daddy? He called, it, he called Joss and, and had some words. Now, I think the one thing you've got to temper this with is you also need to remember not only is obviously Joss Max's dad, but Joss is essentially Max's
1: manager. Okay.
0: So you need to temper it a little bit with that. But he called up Joss, and he said that he discussed – this is coming from Toto – he discussed two things with Joss. First of all, there has been a negative spin in some of the media around his driving, which he, he said was unjustified in his eyes.
1: Toto um, thought it was unjustified? Toto said nice. he thought
0: it was unjustified. Toto said that he felt it needed to be counter-steered somehow, and he did it only out of sympathy for Max and Joss and nothing else. Number two was that it's two races to the end, and if an accident were, would happen with Nuis and, and Lepp, Let me start this over again. Number two was that it's two races to the end, and if an accident would happen with Lewis and Nico, it's something that would add some of the negatives in the media, and this can be avoided. It's just to consider for Max this is not important, not as important as for the other two. That's where I think that he may have gone over the line a little bit because that sounds to me like he's saying that, you know, if – max was to find himself in a position with either lewis or nico that max should remember that truly they're battling for the world championship and max is not and maybe max should let them go that might be crossing the line a bit
1: um perhaps just a little bit um i i think that what toto was trying to go for was Max has got some negative press going on, and it will only increase if Max is perceived as the one that spoils a championship for someone.
0: Yes and no. And the only, the only reason why I, I kind of question that is if you happen to have listened to Five Lives podcast this week, they happen to have grabbed Daniel Ricardo as he went by. Mm-hmm. And there was some question with Daniel about a similar situation. And Daniel's remark was, obviously, if I see an opening, I'm going to take it. The two are clearly fighting for a world championship, and I want to give them—or or I should—something about giving them some space so that we can allow them to battle for that championship. But along the same lines, I'm not going to step back on my racing, and I'm not going to let an opening go by— and not take advantage of an opening just because those two are battling for their world championship. And I'm not going to let that interfere with my level of racing.
1: Oh, and I don't disagree with that sentiment at all. What I'm suggesting is Max is, how does one say this? Aggressive. Um, he tends to try to push people off the track a bit. And um, because of that... I think that the point Toto was was trying to make was more around don't let Max get himself in a situation where it's perceived that he destroyed someone's chances to be world champion. Because here's what's going to happen. Here's what could potentially happen. And we saw the possibility of it happen in uh, Mexico. Mexico. Lewis gets off the. Lewis made pole for Brazil. Lewis gets off the line well, and that puts Nico in a position of fighting with Max for that second, third spot. If that's the case, Nico and Max had contact in Mexico. Yeah. If Max had taken Lewis, um, Nico. Nico out, we would have had a game changer on our hands.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I don't think, I think people, I think the public would be more forgiving if Max took Nico out and lost the championship for Nico in favor of Lewis. I don't think the public would be very forgiving if he took Lewis out.
0: Honestly, if I was Joss, I think the response should have been, thanks for the input, Toto. Just remember, poop happens.
1: (laughs) And that may have been what Joss said, right?
0: Yeah, it may have been. We don't know. So. We'll move on a little more. But you don't
1: call daddy. Yeah. Don't call daddy.
0: Well, again, and and that's why I point out that Joss is also Max's manager, and you got to kind of temper that a little.
1: Unless Toto and the Verstappens are like good friends. And they might be. I don't know. You don't call daddy. I don't care what job daddy also has. but That's like calling Max's mom.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to Williams. we got a lot of Williams news this week. And actually, probably the most important story to come out of Williams this week was that Sir Frank is out of the hospital.
1: Yay! Hope you're feeling better, Sir Frank. Yes. Now, how much of our Williams news this week is about Masa?
0: Actually, not much. Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll mention it, but not much.
1: Um... They finalized the driver lineup
0: they, they did finalize the driver lineup and it, it was absolutely no surprise whatsoever what the lineup is it, it's valtteri and canadian lance stroll
1: hey another north american on the track
0: it is um there has been some controversy around lance's signing which i honestly i think is completely unfounded. okay but it's um lance comes with some money mm-hmm. from dad um So there is controversy over the fact that he's paying for his seat. Um, It sounds like there has been a lot of money spent on it, possibly Maldonado levels of money, including potentially uh, there's been talk that uh, Lance's dad purchased a new simulator for Williams.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yes. I don't know. Regardless This is the state of Formula One. Mm -hmm. All of these drivers come with sponsorship. They come with money to some level or another. And I'm not going to criticize Williams for it. No. So there's that. Um, The other thing with Williams. Next year is Williams' 40th anniversary. Yes. So to continue... Commemorate it. They have announced the name for their 2017 car, and it will be commemorating their 40th anniversary. It will be known as the FW40. Now, if they were to follow their normal naming convention, this year's car was actually the FW38. So it should have been the FW39. They have decided that, no, we don't need no 39. We're going right to 40.
1: Well, 39 does not exist.
0: So, just wanted to mention that. So this weekend, yes, it is, and because you brought it up, it is Felipe Massa's final home Grand Prix. Yes. And you didn't notice until I pointed it out like three times.
1: It took me a little bit for the camera to slow down enough.
0: Massa's car is wearing a very special paint job. I thought this was kind of cool, and I'm kind of wondering, knowing that williams does some of these little modified one-offs depending on where they go because they've got issues with their sponsorship remember one of their key sponsors is martini which is um
1: it's an alcoholic bender
0: yeah it's vermouth and some other stuff um and there are some countries that prohibit alcohol advertisements so they make modifications to their Uh, livery to accommodate this my favorite is when they replace martini which is the word racing (laughs) that i think is really cool Um. and everything that the team wears reflects the new livery well they just changed felipe's car they didn't change valtteri's car um it said that the tail is different it says i believe abrogato which i'm assuming means farewell um, cause I've heard it mentioned a couple of times to him and also where it normally would say martini on the car in the bullseye, the bullseye roundel. Now it says masa. Yes. Which I think is awesome. Yes. So I'm kind of hoping that all of his engineers are wearing similar shirts.
1: We'll have to see. We'll have to pay attention to what the, what their uniforms look like and things like that. Um, to, today when we watch the race, um, but okay, so just a couple of little MASA stats for you. Mm-hmm. As if you don't know, we're going to be talking of, you know, the the people are talking MASA all along. Um, and they're talking a lot about his, his career. Um, he won his, the first race in Brazil in 2006. Mm-hmm. He's been a three time pole sitter at Brazil, it is his home Grand Prix. He literally came up through the karting tracks. Next door to the Interlagos track. Yes. Um, so he's he's very close to this area of Brazil. Um, it's his. It's where he's from. He calls it his garden. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, there was a really good uh, profile of Felipe with uh, Lee McKenzie on Channel 4's uh, qualifying coverage. Right. Um, went to his house. Um, I
1: thought, you know, just from the the little piece of the house was kind of understated for what you would think of a... I mean, it was nice, don't get me well, wrong, but... We
0: only... First off, we only saw the one room. Now, I also believe that he's got a place in Monaco as well and some other... And my understanding is that Felipe has, as part of the property, he has his own go-kart track. Yeah. We have not seen... We didn't see that.
1: No, but... W- where the the interview took place looked like it was sort of the family room looking into the kitchen, mm-hmm. and the the piece that caught my eye was the fact that what you could see of the kitchen did not look like the high end chefs' kitchens uh, that you see on HGTV all the time yeah. that you know the first time homeowners think they're going to buy in their sixty thousand uh, dollar. Brick ranch. Yeah. Um. You know, it's not that it was. It was your average kitchen with an average couch. You know, it was It just wasn't what I expected. It was. It. It's what I expected of Massa. It's not what I expected of a Formula One driver. That makes sense.
0: So, actually, I'll play it later. We we have a clip of the closest that Felipe ever got to winning a world championship, and the emotion around it because and and i think this clip in particular is probably the best retelling of that Mm -hmm. that i have ever heard so we'll we'll share that a little later
1: and so he lost the world championship by one point in 2008 yeah and he lost it to then rising star now three-time world champion Lewis hamilton
0: so we'll we'll, we'll get to that in a bit Mm -hmm. um Some other news around Formula One.
1: Okay. This
0: one I don't think should be a huge surprise, uh, but word has come that Liberty Liberty Media's purchase of Formula One and FOM will be facing an anti-competition probe by the British government. Um, It'll be investigated by Britain's Competition and Markets Authority. I don't think that should be a huge surprise to anybody. No. So one way that's going to go, we don't know. So this past week and, and the last couple of weeks, and, and it's all around the release of, of his book Total Competition— Ross Braun has been all over the place. Mm-hmm. He did a thing for the BBC. He did a thing for Channel 4. I think next week he's going to be doing a cooking segment with Rachel Ray and possibly something on the Today Show at this point because he's been all over the place. And I then he's his, going to be on like Graham Norton back in the UK or something. It, it, it's it, I it's heard ridiculous. his
1: booking agent was trying to reach our booking agent for a, a spot here because he's doing all the media
0: sadly our number unlisted <laughs> <laughs> but anyway ross has been all over the place there has been a lot of speculation that liberty is considering um ross replacing bernie eccleston
1: now liberty has used ross as a Sounding board, as an advisor, as a consultant, in the whole process. So it shouldn't be surprising that they're thinking or talking or that word on the street is that Ross should be in that type of position.
0: Well, Ross is denying this. Well, he's denying that he is being considered for a role within FOM. Um, he says that, uh, yes, he, he freely admits that he's consulting with, with Liberty Media. But beyond that, he says that there's nothing to it. So Bernie has weighed in on this. I believe he was approached in Mexico City about all of this speculation. And Bernie expressed some comments of his own. And this, I think, was one of the few moments of lucidity that we got from Bernie. Nice. What Bernie said is that you know Ross is a very smart guy. He's he's had a lot of success and a lot of experience within Formula One. However, FOM and Liberty are responsible for the promoting of the sport and and, and everything around that. Ross's expertise is as a manager, Mm -hmm. or, or not as a manager, is as an engineer, and... Really, where Ross belongs and and the role that Ross should take regarding Formula One is over in the FIA overseeing the technical and sporting regulation of the sport as opposed to the marketing and promotion of the sport.
1: It's an interesting thought. Now, in his Channel 4 interview, Mm -hmm. he told them that he was expecting to have a role in the future of F1.
0: Yeah, we just don't know what it is. He said
1: that news would be coming out and that they were working out the details and that type of thing. Um, And the question was, well, what happens if that doesn't happen? And he says he was going to go fishing.
0: Yeah, which shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. I mean, he said that before.
1: I think he's been on fishing leave right now, right?
0: Yes. Okay, so this week, also follow-up. It wasn't the only place that we heard from Bernie it was regarding Ross. Uh, Formula One dot com published an interview with Bernie, and just like in his comments about Ross, it appears to be another rare moment of lucidity from Bernie,
1: or highly edited. That, that that's possible lucidity. too.
0: You know, I, I, it could go either way. <laughs> but th- this wasn't some of the crazier stuff that we have
1: heard from Bernie. Do we ever see crazy from Bernie coming on Formula One dot com? Um, I think that most of the crazy comes out on the BBC or the Guardian. I don't or
0: Sky see, or yeah, I don't any see the crazy
1: else. on you know yeah. his controlled website. Okay, but okay. So how in what way was Bernie lucid
0: this week? Well, I I grabbed a couple of pieces. I didn't grab the whole thing, but but some key areas that that I thought were of interest. Um, the first question that I grabbed was. Um, asking Bernie about Germany, and the question was that according to reports there is uncertainty over Germany's place on the 2017 race calendar. A German team has won the last three constructors' titles. There are four German drivers on the grid, and one of them could end up as the new championship or as the new champion. Yet still, it is a nail biter as to whether there will be a race. So Bernie's response: Yes, there is nothing sure yet. We are trying to make it happen. It seems the promoter can't make it financially viable. They cannot pay a fee, which is, very, which is a very reduced fee that we've done for them. So the site followed up compared to others. And Bernie said, exactly. It's not fair that they should pay a fee which is a lot less than other European venues pay. We are trying to keep all the Europeans at the same amount. Now think about that for a second because there have been many reports – that state that monaco pays no fee
1: right so how
0: is he balancing this math
1: well obviously monaco's not european then i don't know i mean in the bernie world you've claimed that this was a lucid moment for bernie okay we can poke holes in his statement like swiss cheese and it's lucid
0: Lucid because it wasn't the level of crazy that we have heard in the past, by you know, like building walls around the edge of it to keep the drivers on the track. Which, by the way, I've got some some, some follow up to that as well.
1: Excellent. Okay, it, so, are we going to have to put in the dictionary "Bernie Lucid" versus "Lucid Lucid"?
0: Possibly. So, next question: Your recent suggestions that there should be walls erected at certain tracks instead of these huge runoff zones created quite a stir. So, what Bernie said. What I really said was that these walls should prevent the drivers from running off the track because now when they do it, it is a case that somebody has to decide whether they ran off because they had a problem or because they wanted to get an advantage or they made a mistake. That then means you have to rely on somebody's opinion. If you have three stewards, that usually means three opinions. One might call for disqualification, one might call for a penalty, and a third one might say that there is nothing wrong with it at all the easiest thing to do for some corners and i really mean only some and corners that are not deemed dangerous where somebody could get advantage by running off would be to erect small walls to remind them that this is the white line it would mean we lift the white line up by 40 centimeters
1: okay he's
0: still saying essentially we build jump ramps on the sides of the
1: track (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but when they did the big curbs to remind people of walls, we broke a lot of cars.
0: There's that too. So the site went on. So what you're saying was taken out of context and all the comments that Bernie wants to make F1 dangerous again were wrong. And Bernie says, I have done more for Formula One safety over the years than anybody else, including having a hospital at the circuits. So we don't need these discussions. I have never made it dangerous in Monaco, and it's been there for decades. Baku is no problem. Singapore no problem. And if you ask a driver what race he would love to win more than any other, the immediate answer would be Monaco. There you have it. No driver ever complained about Monaco. I I see okay. what he's saying, but I also then say there's no comparison to what he's saying. But I see what he's saying, even okay. though there's no
1: comparison. Back to, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still kind of reeling on that these are the lucid comments of Bernie. Okay. Um, But, yes, every driver wants to win Monaco because it's Monaco. It could be an oval in the middle of Monaco and the most boring race ever, and they still want to win it because it's Monaco.
0: I'm not so sure about that. Yes, they want to win it because it's Monaco, but Monaco has the mystique that it has. It has the cachet that it has specifically because of what that circuit is it is not an oval in the middle of a city it is this tight windy track with apartment buildings and they can walk to the track from their house and <laughs> the celebrities <laughs> and all the take a shower uh, i mean it is a combination of the both this is monaco is a very challenging track for the drivers that either they're going to get it right or they're going to end up in a really big
1: wreck Okay, yes, it's got all of those components to it. But I go back to the other part of his statement that he's never heard a driver complain about Monaco. I've heard many drivers complain about the fact that they can't pass in Monaco, that it's processional, that it's— I haven't heard
0: that from drivers. I've heard that from reporters and press. I haven't heard that from drivers.
1: Okay.
0: Just want to be clear. Okay. And honestly, I think part of the reason why Monaco is the processional nature that it is is because the rules are the way they are. Okay. The cars are so aero-dependent. They are so restricted with what they can do that the teams can't build a car that is good in Monaco. No, right. that then part. Monaco is also a one-off in its own right. But... You know, you can't follow closely behind another car, Monaco or anywhere, because of the issues that the the, the wash has on your tire wear. Oh, Monaco, it's even more pronounced.
1: All right. So what else has Mr. Bernie said?
0: So that was what I had on his stuff. The rest of it was it was Bernie B and Bernie and
1: whatever. Yeah. Okay.
0: And so more driver news.
1: Okay. Pascal Verline. Yes.
0: He has said that he would be happy with a second season at matter.
1: Well, he should be because that's probably the only place he's going to get go a seat. Yeah, because <laughs> um, his buddy, his his fellow driver, has I don't been, know
0: about buddy part because he's been kind of beating him.
1: Well, yeah, Esteban Ocon has been um, confirmed to have the second seat up at Force India. Yes, that is a meteoric rise for Manor.
0: It is. It, it is huge, and I think it says a lot about the potential that everybody sees in Esteban. Um, now granted, when we started the season, Pascal was also considered to be the second coming of Ayrton Senna as well. And <laughs> yeah, he's still down at that bottom team and Esteban has shot up after half a season. Uh,
1: hmm. uh, you know, there, there's no accounting, but Esteban has also out and outperformed Pascal. So let's let's go with that. Um, also
0: on the move. It has been confirmed, we, we heard that this was a rumor, but it has been confirmed now that Kevin Magnuson is departing Renault and heading to Haas.
1: Right, because the difference between one and two matters. E- essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Renault I'm... offered um, Magnuson a seat for one year. Mm-hmm. Haas offered him a seat for two plus an option for a third. And so... And Kevin
0: said, see ya. I I, I want a guaranteed seat in Formula One.
1: Yep.
0: Now, in response to this, for starters, Renault turned around and then handed Jolien Palmer a one-year contract, which Jolien
1: said, thank you. (laughs) I'll be (laughs) signing that. Thank you very much. (laughs) But then
0: Jolien went out into the press. And this is, I I have questioned, I'm starting to question more and more, um, the media savviness of Jolien Palmer. We, we did a few weeks ago, and I continue to do so now. Jolien went out into the press and said, you know, it's really cool that I got this seat with Renault. I'm excited for it. They're a works team, and they've got the money and the backing, and this is going to be a team that's going to go somewhere. It may take some time, but this is going to be a team that's going to go somewhere. And Kevin was really kind of dumb to leave it because this is a team that's going to go somewhere. So... Kevin was asked about this. And Kevin had pretty much the same response that I had when I read Jolien's comments, which was Jolien should just be happy, should just be thankful that Kevin decided to go to Haas and free mm. up the seat. Cuz otherwise Jolien wasn't getting it.
1: True. <laughs> uh, true. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Um
0: So some more news um Felipe Nasser's deal is in limbo right now. Ah, It's related to his sponsorship. His his main sponsor is Banco de Brazil. Well, there has been a management turnover over at Banco de Brazil, uh, which has led to potentially some renegotiation of the sponsorship terms between uh, Felipe and Banco de Brazil, which would impact the security of his money which is now having sauber go well wait let's see what's going to happen here
1: nice
0: so we'll we'll see i don't know if that's nice but
1: well yeah but keep in mind bernie believes that there must be a brazilian on the track
0: he does but you know you got to come up with a way for that brazilian to be on the track whether that's an up-and-coming brazilian who can do this or one who has got the money and I'm not sure there's any up and comers around. And if Banco de Brazil falls apart, where's the money going to come from?
1: There's definitely that question.
0: So, um, speaking of possible disappearances and going away, you know, we talked that there was some intrigue happening over at McLaren.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it sounds like Ron Dennis could be out the door as early as next week.
1: But, but don't let the door hit um, you on the butt.
0: Contract did not get renewed uh ron apparently attempted in the last two weeks a last-ditch effort with some chi- to acquire some chinese funding to um take over ownership of of the team and the company that has failed oh and as a result Mansor oj and his uh Other backers, his Middle Eastern backers, who are they? Oman or Bahraini or something like that. But the the Middle Eastern backers have, uh, I guess, reminded Ron that his presence is no longer welcome. So there are some court cases that are trying to keep Ron in place, but it seems unlikely that those will succeed. So Ron may be on a fast track out the door. Ouch. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that and see what happens for next week. And Esteban Gutierrez has confirmed that he no longer has a seat at Haas.
1: Ah, well, since they gave the seat to Kevin Magnuson, I can imagine that he no longer has a seat at Haas. But I'm sure he's looking and entertaining other possible seats within the Formula One grid.
0: Yes, and, and there's many of them. It Well, maybe one at Manor. Uh.
1: Let's see. <laughs> I'm counting down. We've got one at Manor. Um are both the Sauber drivers signed but Nasser's money is up in the air so there it's, could be one It's
0: at... Nasser's seat is the big question. So there could um, be one at Sauber. And there's the question of Verline over at uh Manor and whether or not he keeps that or not. Right. I suspect that he probably will. Um Red Bull's or Toro Rosso is not going to sign him. No. So, yeah, I don't think that leaves him with a whole lot of options.
1: I was going to say, I think that we're confirmed on all the other seats now, aren't we?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: So we've got Sauber and Manor that possibly could have a seat for you. And otherwise, um, we'll see what happens.
0: Yep. So some track information. Track. Um, The boss of the Canadian Grand Prix believes that its difficult years are in the past. Oh, good. Um, we haven't heard that they have been removed from the to-be-confirmed status, uh, but he believes that funding has been identified for the delayed improvements that Formula One wants to happen, but it's still about two or three years out before those happen. They also think that the signing of Canadian Lance Stroll will help their chances and the fortunes of the race. Got it. Um I don't know. I, you know, we haven't been to Montreal. We have heard that that Montreal embraces the race very much, so I find it hard to believe that they are struggling that badly. I know. So I don't know. Uh, we've also gotten word that Imola has withdrawn its legal action over the Grand Prix of Manza. Oh. Um. Basically, I think somebody didn't show up to a court to a court date. And then said that, yeah, we're just not going to argue anymore. We're not going to get anywhere. Okay. So that is what has happened there. Also, you know, it sounded like Jaguar Land Rover was the leading candidate to buy Silverstone, but they have withdrawn their application. Really? Yeah. We don't know why they have withdrawn it, but they have re- withdrawn and suspended their plans to purchase the track. Interesting. Yeah, so we don't know what that means for the future of so that brings us to this weekend. We're in Brazil. We are in Brazil at this point. The
1: penultimate um, race of the season.
0: Couple of th- well, let's let's do the track facts and then we'll talk about some things around it and what this truly means and and what could be settled this afternoon and what could continue to go on. Okay. Okay. So uh, lowest starting position for a winner at Brazil is eighth. Okay. The average starting position is two point six five. This is a track where we have seen passing happen. Um, There have been 14 winners from pole with a 39% chance of a safety car.
1: That seems very low considering the amount of rain that happens at this track. Yes.
0: Um, The actual track name, even though it is commonly referred to as Interlagos, it is actually the Jose Carlos Pache Autodromo. Right. Because I I have to call that out because I just, I, I like the word autodromo. I know it's do. just cool. So anytime <laughs> um, that it's we have... called
1: orders. Interlagos because that actually means between lakes. Yes. And that is where the track sits is between a pair of lakes.
0: Well, more than just a pair of lakes, it is about as downtown of a track as you can possibly be. And you can clearly see that from the overhead shots of the houses and apartment buildings and shops and everything else that are right up against the track. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know what that does for real estate costs, but uh, <laughs> it's got its own version of Wrigleyville, you know. It's <laughs> hey,
1: I don't think that Wrigleyville's uh, real estate is hurting any, especially right now.
0: So some quirky facts about Brazil. Quirky. One of these I think we, we have discussed before from the BBC, but uh, we got a little more info about it this time. In 1959, Cacarico, and I'm probably butchering that name. But Cacarico, a five-year-old female rhinoceros, stood as a candidate in the Sao Paulo Council elections. Not only did she win, <laughs> she still has one of the highest number of votes for a local candidate in Brazil, amassing 100,000 votes, which was 15% of the total. Now, she died in 1962, but has left a strong legacy in Brazil.
1: Sounds so familiar. <laughs>
0: Um, the Estadio Milton Correra, which is a 10,000-seat football stadium, has its halfway line exactly on the equator. So what this means is that each team has to defend a hemisphere. <laughs> the ground is also known as zero for zero latitude and was formally named after the late great Ayrton Senna. Ah. A small prison in the state of Minas Gerais allows prisoners to pedal on stationary bicycles to generate electricity for the local city. (laughs) And in return, the inmates are given reduced sentences for their hard work. (laughs) (laughs) So now, Renault. Um, As a constructor only, they have won two races in Brazil. Okay. Um, Tire selection for the weekend is the soft, the medium, and the hard. The lap record was set by Juan Pablo Montoya in 2004, 1 minute 11.473 yeah, 0.473 seconds. In 2015, there were 31 overtakes. This is a short circuit. It's one of the shortest of the season, um, with four, the circuit length being 4.309 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Uh, race distance of 305.909 kilometers. And Renault in Brazil is both a constructor and as an engine supplier. 118 starts, 10 wins, 28 podiums, 13 poles, and 11 fastest laps for 364 total points. Nice. Now, Renault has their own bit of trip down memory lane. But we have a different one. Okay. This is, as we mentioned, potentially one of... Felipe Massa's highest highs followed almost as quickly by one of his lowest lows, almost as low as Hungary 2009, which in, in this was really kind of eerie. Um in the tooth in uh sorry, in Channel 4's coverage with him which we talked about earlier. Um Felipe pulled out the helmet that he wore at the race in 2009 in Hungary, which is notable because that was where a spring fell off Rubens Barrichello's Williams bounced down the track, hit Felipe in the head, knocking him unconscious and sending him into a wall. The helmet has all of the damage that it incurred from the impact of the spring and Felipe's blood from the day and the holes and everything. It's,
1: yeah. um, It's an eerie sight, but I have to tell you that what gave me chills was Masa's view of his of that of that helmet. He said that some people would look at this as being um a a, a tragedy as being a sad thing mm-hmm. um and I look at this as this saved my life. And
0: in many ways it did.
1: I mean the helmet is mean, I mean, truly did, it did the helmet. But did, but. It was just, he He has such, and I think this is one of the reasons why just personally I like him so much. He has such a positive view mm-hmm. and a positive outlook. I mean, you're about to play a clip that would probably crush a lesser man. I mean, truly. Um, go on. Rob,
0: Rob Smedley says it actually did crush yeah. him. Yeah, um, and Rob Smedley was—he's—he's he's now over at Williams with Felipe. But Rob was Felipe's en- race engineer over at uh, Ferrari when this happened. Um, so let's play the clip back to 2008 in Brazil.
1: They're throwing their hats into the air in the crowd here at Interlagos because Felipe Massa, with Lewis Hamilton coming home to take sixth place, is world champion. No, Lewis Hamilton's up to fifth. Lewis Hamilton has made it up to fifth by the end of the line screen says the Lewis Hamilton's fifth and Timo Glock is sixth and this confusion of Ferrari but I tell you what the times say Lewis Hamilton is the winner Lewis Hamilton puts his hands over his head and can't believe it and now it's filtered through he's world champion in 2008 and I've never seen anything like it
0: and this I don't think Formula One has ever seen a finish like this it truly was the 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 last corner of the last race already the the race winner had crossed the line won the world essentially had the points for the world championship but on the last corner at the last race lewis manages to pull the one pass he needs to get up into fifth and Which was the the lowest
1: possible position he could get to win the championship.
0: And, yeah, this audio tells it fantastically. The other thing, and I'm sure it's going to get replayed multiple times throughout the week. I would be stunned if NBC Sports is not replaying the video. I'm sure Sky Sports is playing the video of... What happened and seeing Felipe's dad and the rest of the team wildly celebrating and then all of a sudden somebody coming in and the word slowly filtering through the crowd in the Ferrari garages of, uh no, Lewis actually managed to pull the pass off. And the entire tone changing in an instant. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob Smedley was on... uh five live this week and they asked him about the moment and and rob was like well you know it happened and i don't remember all of it because it was such an emotional time but he says what i do remember was felipe crosses the line and the garage erupts and people are grabbing me and poking me and trying to pull me away and shouting that we're world champions and rob is going no wait, I'm trying to watch the timing screens. I'm to stop. I'm trying to watch the timing screens and he's trying to pull away and getting away and seeing everything flip and it all changed directions in an instant.
1: Mm-hmm. So the thing that gets said so very often was that Felipe Massa was world championship for a second. It yeah. was one second difference between when he crossed the line and Lewis made it into fifth place. Um, what I find interesting, and we were not following Formula One at the time, so I don't know all the drama that was going on, but when they interviewed Lewis about that, he said it was actually one of the lowest days of his life.
0: Yeah, and, and I think we need to figure out what was happening there. He said it was so dramatic, and there were a bunch of things that were going on at that point.
1: But I think some of it, that was the year that he and Fernando were... In the garage together, I believe. Yeah,
0: I believe so. And, and that there was have been so
1: much it. contention there. Um, one of the commentators had mentioned that um, McLaren that year, had they had shot for fifth. Mm-hmm. They didn't shoot for winning the thing. So they had, everything was set up for him to just eke by. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that was part and parcel of it. But I think there's a lot more to that story. But... I I wonder, knowing kind of more of what we know about Lewis these days, if there isn't also a piece of he's a racer, he's a wants to be a champion, but the the sheer tragedy of the whole situation as it plays out for Massa, um, I mean, to have it right there in your hand and to let it slip is got to be the roughest thing, and yet Massa speaks of it as being. It's, it's, it was another day. It was another thing. And yes, it hurt. And yes, it was awful. But you got up and you raced the next year.
0: You know, it was also it was interesting listening to Rob Smedley talk about the team then as opposed to the team that Felipe came back to after the incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where he said that, you know, and, and at, the, at the time, Felipe was partnered with Kimi Raikkonen. And he said that at the time— the way Ferrari had handled the team, there was no clear number one. They didn't do that. There was The team wasn't built around either one of them. They both had an equal shot, and that was the environment that Felipe was in and he was working in. There was the incident in 2009, and when he comes back, now he's partnered with Fernando Alonso, two-time world champion, that at that point the team had coalesced around Fernando, and there was now a concerted effort for there to be a true number one driver at the team and Felipe was not it Mm -hmm. now there's a lot of respect for Fernando and Felipe and they got along extremely they played nice yeah and got along very well but it was always all the years that we watched Fernando was always the number one the favored child at that team and Felipe was the supporting player
1: and Felipe took a lot on the shin from it Mm-hmm. I mean truly but as we wrap up the masa love here can we just say cutest kid <laughs> I adore seeing a Filipino out there I just love him and I love seeing dad and son together I mean that's just it's it's heartwarming really heartwarming and of course then there's masa's dad yeah It's the three generations. Well,
0: odds are we will probably see at the race today, you're going to see Filipino, you will probably see Felipe's dad and Felipe's brother. The three of them are frequently highlighted Mm -hmm. um, on the side of the track. I'm sure his wife is there. I don't recall her being called out as much as everybody, the, the other members of the family.
1: Yeah. Maybe she doesn't like the limelight as much. And it's possible. And I mean, I'm not sure that I get the impression that dad is all about the limelight, but... Yeah, there's something about doting Papa on the sidelines that Formula One uh, brings to mind. Speaking of doting dads, interesting factoid for this particular weekend. Okay. Should Nico Rosberg clinch ah, the title? He's
0: going to go there next. That was the news for...
1: <laughs> um, so here's the thing. Mathematically, as long as Nico wins the race, he will be crowned world champion.
0: And of course, we should mention we are recording this... Pre-race, post-qualifying. So uh, by the time you hear this, you know what has happened. Right. We do not.
1: We do not. So, but so mathematically, if he wins the race, he wins world champion. So uh, Lewis's only job today is to win the race. Mm-hmm. That is the, or, or to prevent Nico from winning the race, one or the other. Um, but that is the, that is the sole responsibility here.
0: Outside of that, the, the, I mean, there, there's a ton of different permutations that can happen. If Lewis wins the race, everything stays the same, provided Nico ends up in second or third. Correct. Okay. If Nico ends up below third, he must win in Abu Dhabi in order to uh, win the championship. Right. If he ends up in second or in third when they get to Abu Dhabi, depending on where he's at, if he win, if he finishes Brazil in second, he needs to be in third or better to clinch the championship. If he ends up in third, he needs to be second or win the race in Abu Dhabi in order to, to win a championship. Yeah. That's the simple permutations.
1: So much like the election that we just went through, those are the paths to victory. Yes. Now, interesting factoid. There have been— Only one other father son duo of world champions. They were the Hill family. Yes. Graham and Damon. Damon. Mm -hmm. They won exactly 34 years apart from each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is where it gets fun. 34 years ago, this, this, right now, this year. Josh Verstappen, not Josh Josh Verstappen, uh, Kiki Räikkönen.
0: No, wow, you're all over the... K.K. KK Rosberg.
1: K.K. Rosberg won the world champion. I'm getting there eventually. (laughs) K.K. Rosberg won the champion 34 years ago. So if Nico wins today or in Abu Dhabi, it will be 34 years, and that's obviously what it takes to be a generational Formula One world champion. Apparently. So we have to find out when... Josh, Josh no Josh, Josh, Josh never did not won, w- win uh, a world champion jo-
0: already Max has tied the number of wins that Josh Verstappen has
1: okay so okay <laughs> so anyway long story short 34 years is your magic number so if Nico wins we make double history
0: hmm
1: otherwise Lewis gets his fourth world champion and all is right and better with the world again <laughs> wow <laughs>
0: I don't know, given given that this has been the year of improbables, um, I still think Nico's going to win at this point.
1: Uh, Well, okay, under the improbable rule, under the improbable rule, Lewis wins. Because all the polling says that Nico is is going to win.
0: (laughs) Is that it? Okay.
1: Under the improbable rule. Okay. But... Since we do not have the improbable drive from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I'm predicting that Nico will win, and I have a sneaking feeling it's going to come down to Abu Dhabi. So
0: so you're going to the infinite improbability drive. You give me a hard time over a McEnroe reference, and you go (laughs) with this direction.
1: Something tells me that there are more people in our audience that get the infinite improbability drive reference than got the McEnroe reference.
0: Anyway, so our last story. We wrap it because we've been really long. Well. This is what happens. It's been two weeks.
1: <laughs> you get it's a twofer. It's like two shows in one.
0: As we mentioned earlier, Fernando Alonso had some issues in FP2. <laughs> Shockingly, there were more issues than we thought they were going to be. Okay. So, you know, He completed 18 laps that afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, However, there was a problem with... uh,
1: ERS. Yeah, it
0: it, it was an ERS issue. Actually, it wasn't even necessarily an ERS issue, but it was an indication that they were getting of a potential problem. There may not have actually been a problem. So he only made 18 laps, got stuck out on the track, and Fernando got bored and looked for ways to entertain himself um
1: bored fernando is not good fernando i
0: i don't know about this um the first thing is he found once again found a deck chair to go sit down on he did not sun himself because at the same time he also managed to go and befriend a friendly camera operator he sat and watched tv for a bit on one of the monitors um and then he tried his hand at operating the camera
1: which proved that not any idiot can operate a tv camera
0: Yes, as did the Channel 4 folks. (laughs) Um, What Fernando had to say. He said that I need to get up to speed with technology and improve my skills with that joystick that controls the camera now, which seems very, very sensitive. They told me over the radio they would broadcast from that camera Sergio Perez arriving, so I tried to find Perez, but I found the sky in the asphalt instead, but not Perez. <laughs> I feel very bad about my poor performance with the camera. I am thinking of going back later on to have some practice with the, that camera with the Porsche cup in case tomorrow I stop again. Unfortunately, we had a problem in practice today, but I tried to have a good sense of humor, and hopefully I won't repeat the same thing tomorrow. But there was a little more that he had to say. Okay. He then went on to say that in watching the action unfold on the TV, that he felt that the cars were very boring and that Formula One should pay the fans to watch. Oh. Now, the problem that I have with this, besides the fact that, A, he broke down and that he was trying to find ways to entertain himself, is, B, he was watching Free Practice too. He was not watching racing. He was not watching qualifying. It was a practice session. Practice sessions are typically not very exciting.
1: No. No, they don't have to be exciting.
0: So for him to go and say that they should be paying the fans to watch the cars go around the track, it was a practice session. It's probably almost as exciting as watching winter testing.
1: I don't know about that, but it's it's Fernando mouthing off. I mean, seriously. That's what he does, and he doesn't do it well. I mean, that's the problem. He's frustrated, he's angry, he's mouthing off, and he's not good at mouthing off.
0: Just like he's not good at deciding when to pull a ripcord and leave a team, but that's a whole other story. Well, yeah, there's,
1: there's that too. All righty. On that note, maybe we should pull the ripcord and leave this podcast.
0: Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, we've heard everybody else's thoughts on the sub situation. What are your thoughts on it? Was his language out of line? Was who he directed the comments at out of line? Should he been punished? Should he not have been punished? Should FOM not have done what they did in the first place? Let us know over on Facebook or. Did over you get
1: the McEnroe reference?
0: Yeah. yeah did you get the McEnroe <laughs> reference? <laughs> Let us know over on Facebook or over on the webpage. And by, once again, by the time you hear this, you already know whether or not Nico Rosberg is the world championship or the world champion. We do not. But on that note.